Well, good morning, Rocky Peak. Great to see you. Merry Christmas. Uh, we're excited to join, uh, kick off this Christmas season uh, together. If we haven't met yet, my name's Michael. I'm one of the pastors here. We have a very special service plan today. We're very excited about that. Before we jump in, uh, a couple announcements for you. So we've got Christmas is coming, right? How many of you are already done? You're already done with your shopping, I'm sure. Yeah, right, so you can just really focus on Jesus during the season. Yeah, it's great. Uh, anyway, uh, yeah, Christmas is coming, and so um, I don't know if you've looked to the calendar yet, but Christmas Eve actually falls on a Sunday this year, and so as a result, we're not doing our normal weekend services that weekend. Instead, what we're doing is we're doing two uh, special, we're calling them Christmas Eve services, but two on Saturday evening or Saturday afternoon at 3.30 and 5.30, and then two on Sunday afternoon at 2 o'clock and 4 o'clock, and they're all exactly the same, a little shorter service uh, than, than like our, our normal weekend service. We'll be doing Christmas carols, uh, special music, I'll be bringing a brief message called The Gift of God. And so it's going to be a great time. We're going to have a kids ministry at all four of those services. So I'll be online as well. After the service, we'll be going outside. We'll have a hot cocoa, uh, Christmas cookies, Christmas booth for you to uh, take pictures with your family and friends, make some new friends. So it's going to be an awesome time. And it's always one of my favorite services of the year. It's just a great time as a church family to come, come together and celebrate Jesus before it gets too crazy out there, right? So, uh, so anyway, uh, it's a great time to invite people too that might not normally come to church, but just a great intro for them. So be thinking and praying uh, about that. Uh, second thing is, uh, we've been mentioning the last couple weeks, but uh, right after Thanksgiving, I sent out, uh, we sent out the ministry update letter I do every time of year with several things, kind of year-end announcements, things that are coming up in the new year and so on. Uh, and so if you didn't get that, there's one of those available, hard copy, uh, outside on the patio at the point. You can pick up one there. But one of the things I mentioned in there is I, I introduced our Christmas. Christmas uh, generosity initiative. And so some of you we do every year, several times a year, but at Christmas it's usually our biggest one of the year. And this year we're partnering uh, with this kind of new ministry that's called His Hands on Africa. In fact, inside your program you will see there's a special little uh, kind of giving uh, uh, envelope, a little uh, place for you to, to mark if you want to give to that. Uh, you can, of course, give online. You can give uh, through the app. You can uh, drop those, uh, those cards uh, and, and the envelopes, you can drop it in one of the gift kiosks or out on the patio. Also, several ways. But one of the things uh, I shared in that letter is that uh, we have the privilege of meeting with the founders of this ministry, uh, Thomas and Lita Lee, this, this uh, summer, and uh, with one of their board members, the president, uh, Brian, uh, Brian Moorhead, and so on. And it was just amazing to me as I heard their story, uh, I was so impressed, not only with the ministry, but with their hearts and uh, how God has taken them on this amazing journey um, that's kind of a great, as we'd call it here at Rocky Peak, a great listen and follow story. And as you know, one of our passions here at Rocky Peak, kind of our core value is that we believe that the secret to being transformed, to becoming like Jesus, uh, and to being used for his kingdom, it, it comes down, it's very simple. We just need to listen and follow. We need to listen, what's God telling us through his word, through his spirit, and as we respond, we take the next step of our growth. And I was so moved, I was literally moved to tears in that meeting, um, just hearing their story of how, how that had worked out in this couple's life. And so I was so impressed with that. I said, hey, would you be willing to come on the first weekend that we introduced this generosity initiative, and instead of our weekend message, I would just like 
have to interview you because you know we're not all called to, to go to Africa, but we're all called to listen and follow, amen? Yeah. And sometimes we need some models of what does that look like even to, to do that? And so very excited to introduce them today. We're gonna be interviewing them. But before that, we prepared a special video like we always do to introduce our generosity initiative. So if you turn to the screens, uh, we're, gonna, we're gonna introduce uh, this ministry, His Hands on Africa, and specifically how we're gonna be partnering with them to help unleash a movement of passionate Christ followers in Rwanda. All right, so let's go to the screen. When we go to a village and tell people Thomas Lee is in town, nobody cares. But when you tell people Thomas Lee, the dentist is in town, we have hundreds of people lining up to receive care from the dentist. My name is Thomas Lee. I'm a general dentist by profession. We've lived in Simi Valley for 20 years. My practice was in Granada Hills. In 2013, my wife and I went on our first mission trip to Rwanda. A young mom came to our clinic for help and she had severe dental infection. So I immediately helped her, got her out of pain, removed her infection. And as soon as I did that, I had the sense that if the Lord didn't send me from the San Fernando Valley all the way to a village clinic in Rwanda, that this mom could have actually died from a dental infection. God just used my hands, my gift and talent that he's given me to save someone's life. That's when I heard the voice of the Lord to come back to Rwanda and give the rest of my life for his purpose. I am co-founder of His Hands on Africa with my wife, Lita. And so our mission is truly to heal and bless the people of Rwanda with the love of Christ. And our aim is to raise up Christian dental professionals to empower, train, disciple Rwandan dentists in dental clinical skills and also as disciple of Jesus. Rwanda is a small landlocked country, population of 14 million people, and it's the most densely populated country in Africa. And as many of you know, they went through the 1994 genocide against the Tutsis, where a million people died in about three months. There's a generational scar, emotional trauma, and so people are still dealing and recovering from that. It's a poor country. There are people in the villages that don't have $3 to pay for transportation to come to our dental clinic, or they come too late and they die from a dental infection in our clinic. It just breaks my heart. You know, most of the things, if not all of the things that we see are completely preventable. But you know, the reality is most people that we deal with cannot even afford a toothbrush and toothpaste. So the need in Rwanda is just tremendous. There is only one dentist per around 200,000 people. 70% have never received dental care. And so people that I see in the clinic, many of them, when they come in, they're 50 years old. And I mean, they've never had a clinic in 45 years. Even the dentists that we have in Rwanda, because of poor education system, the quality and education they receive is still not adequate to provide quality care. That's where we come in to train and empower Christian dental professionals to create sustainability through gospel impact and excellent care. We found this amazing building located in the capital city of Kigali that will house all of the components of our mission and meet the needs of His Hands on Africa. The funding that we receive through this initiative will be used to remodel and complete our training center. 
the first floor, we're planning to have our private clinic. Private clinic will have six treatment rooms. It will cater towards the higher income patients of Rwanda. And the profit that will be generated will be used to carry out the mission of His Hands on Africa. The second floor is our training clinic. The training clinic will have eight treatment rooms. So our residency program is a two-year program and we'll receive four residents per year. The facility will allow us to have all four doctors working every day at the same time with a supervising doctor that will teach and train them in a clinical setting. Third floor will have the dental lab. And the importance of the dental lab is that we need to have crowns or dentures made. And presently, many of it is being sent out of the country. And so our goal is to meet the needs of the people of Rwanda in Hope Dental Center. One of the clinics that we have built, we're seeing 10,000 patients per year. And the outreaches that we do on a weekly basis we are caring for about 60 patients and sharing the gospel where 10 to 15 people are receiving Christ as our Lord and Savior. So if you calculate that in an annual impact, 3,000 people have been seen in the village that would never be able to receive dental care and potentially 500 people are being saved. That's in one location. The impact that we can make through these residents graduating is mind-boggling. You know, each resident will be able to serve 2,000 Rwandans each year. And if we graduate four every year, the impact we make will just continue to multiply year over year over year. Thank you, our brothers and sisters at Rocky Peak. We really appreciate your partnership in our mission, and we look forward to just holding hands together, walking this journey together to heal and bless the people of Rwanda and making not only an impact here on Earth as, as we relieve human suffering, but an internal impact as we share the love and the eternal life of Jesus Christ with the people of Rwanda. Well, would you uh, join me in giving a warm Rocky Peak welcome to uh, Thomas and Lita Lee. Thomas, welcome. <laughs> well, we've, uh, this is round two. You know, we did this last night. And um, so it, it flew last night. The plane flew last night. It uh, worked. It's... Um, this was, as I shared it, uh, that there's, there's seldom that I have experiences exactly like this, that back in July we sat down with them and learned more about their ministry, that uh, I was just so deeply moved by their story, and not, not just the ministry, but by their hearts and what God had taught them in this journey about listening and following. And so, um, you know, as I shared, I asked them if they would come and share with us, and they've graciously uh, uh, agreed to do it. This is not normal for them, right? This is kind of a new experience, and uh, so it's a little intimidating. Uh, they did a great job uh, last night, and we're just so thankful. So to both of you, welcome, and thank you for coming and being willing to, to share your story with us. Thank you for, thank you for having us this yeah. morning. So what I want to do is I want to start kind of by setting their story of this ministry within their life context because you know, I believe God has a vision for each of our lives, right? We talk about it often here. we got an epic vision that if we're a follower of Jesus, we've been chosen before time, that we've been called in time, and we've been gifted for this time. And so um, I want to set their story within the larger context. So uh, let's just, you're, you're both immigrants to this country. You both came to this country when you were young. Uh, why don't you share a little bit about that story, Mr. Thomas? Yes, um, for me, I left uh, Korea when I was five years old in the late 60s. And um, 
My father worked for the airline, so we actually moved around quite a bit. And by the time we arrived here in the States at um, age 10, I had lived in four different countries, spoke three languages, and uh, kind of looking, and actually I was doing the math this morning, I actually went to nine different schools from grade one through, one through nine. <laughs> wow. And so looking back, um, I think God was actually preparing me for cross-cultural missions at age mm. 50. So. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. Okay. And Lita, too, you, you also came from Korea, right? Right. Um, we moved when we were, uh, when I was 13 years old, mm-hmm. my parents, so it's, it's, we, we didn't do this global traveling, but we came from one place to another. <laughs> so when I was 13 years old. And, yeah. yeah. How was that for you, like transitioning into this culture? You know, as I think many immigrants could testify, you get really excited at first to go in a new country and you have this full of dreams and aspirations. And then once you get here, you quickly realize the, the, the harsh reality that's waiting for us. Mm-hmm. And so it was difficult when I was a teenager. Um, I didn't know any English, so my ta- dad taught me ABC, mm-hmm. you know, and just going through some immigrant um, hardships discrimination and loneliness and, mm-hmm. you know, things like that. It was, so hard, it was, hard it was really hard. Yeah. And I was a lonely, little bit of depressed um, mm-hmm. teenager uh, yeah. who went through some tough, tough, tough times. Yeah. Let's talk just a little about your spiritual journey. You came to Christ when you were in middle school, something like that? Yeah, I went to a summer camp between my middle school and high school. And, you know, before that, uh, my middle school Sunday school teacher would always ask me, um, Tom, if you die today, would you go to heaven? And he kept asking me that, and it actually kind of bothered me because I really didn't have a good answer for that because I was a Sunday, you know, a church-going Christian, right. not actually a disciple of Jesus. So it was kind of actually kind of uncomfortable every time he asked me that. And then I'd go to church, and they kept telling me that we're sinners. And I used to think to myself, I'm not that bad of a guy. You know, I didn't do these... <laughs> you know, bad things to people. I'm, I'm a good guy, you know? And so that was my spiritual state. And then in between, you know, my middle school and high school, we um, went to camp and really just the Holy Spirit got a hold of me and convicted me of my sin. And I was literally on the floor just not knowing what to do with this the sin that God had revealed to me. And, you know, I was um, just... If I could, I could actually put my hand in there and to clean out all the, the bad things in my life. And of course, Christ died on the cross for me. And I remember having this vision. I didn't share this with you yesterday, oh, but Go, get some I, saw, I saw this vision of Christ on the cross. Wow. And I am at the feet of that cross. Wow. And he looked at me and said, Thomas, I died for your sins. You wow. know? Amen. And so... Um, after that, you know, that song of Amazing Grace, mm-hmm. it had a completely different meaning to me mm-hmm. because that was my testimony, you mm-hmm. know. And so that was my experience of um, receiving Christ as my Lord and Savior. Yeah, beautiful. Yeah. Now, Lita, your story was a little bit different. Uh, so why don't you share a little bit of background? So um, my aunt and uncle who, was past- who were pastors invited us to, uh, to the United States. And so we started going to their church. And it was a smaller church. Um, but I remember just not, yeah, not liking it <laughs> at all. <laughs> Could, you know, nothing made sense. Um, mm-hmm. The things he said, it's just like I'm trying to figure out 
nothing made sense, and I also didn't have friends, so I remember just really not enjoying the church. Um, but um, not being able to bear the stress and hardships of immigrant life, my actually, my dad um, collapsed one day and he, he died when I was 18 years old. Mm. And that just, I was very close to him. I was the youngest um, child um, in the house and really adored by him and didn't know what to make out of that. And I said, I, I need to see my dad again. How do I do that? And so that was my goal. And then. I think it could have been my aunt or it could have been someone else. Somebody told me, well, you need to go to heaven to see your dad again because that's where he is. Mm. And I go, well, how do I go to heaven? And he goes, um, well, you have to believe in Jesus as your savior. Then you go to heaven. I, yeah, but, you know, how do you do that? And so that was put aside. And I had a very persistent friend who was uh, looking back now. She's a believer. So she said, this is, this is an opportunity. Mm. So she came around and really, like, wanted me to go to retreat. So I went to the retreat uh, after much resistance, but everybody, um, it just didn't make sense. But I had this hunger to see my dad again, right? Mm-hmm. And so I want to go to heaven. So I started crying out, Lord, if you, I didn't know what Lord meant that time, but mm-hmm. God, if you're real, like they said that you are, then please just show up. Mm-hmm. I want to know you, mm-hmm. but I can't mm-hmm. in my own strength. Mm-hmm. It doesn't make sense to me. Yeah. So I was praying that for like three days and then um, you know Koreans are like known for this really really loud powerful prayers <laughs> so yeah. they put you in the middle and then everybody goes around and lay your hands on you and then they start praying you know and then so they were really loud so I became really loud and I think that was very helpful <laughs> so I cried like I was crying like God show up to me and then boom you know, he's, he's, when you seek the Lord, mm-hmm. he finds you. Mm-hmm. He gives you mm-hmm. that spirit, mm-hmm. you know, that you, you just can't turn away from. And yeah. so instantly everything made sense. <laughs> like you said, I was just crying out because I, God just revealed all my sins within me. And I just kind of knew what that meant. Mm. Um, have a lot of growing to do. So that was... The, the powerful encounter with the Holy Spirit at that moment mm. uh, was just tra- really transformational. Never doubted ever since. Mm. And of course, in front of all my friends and colleagues, I'm sorry, I'm a new person, <laughs> new creation in Christ. Uh-huh. And so that was just the beginning of my um, just really a deep relationship with my Jesus. Amen. Yeah. Amen. Mm. It's beautiful. Now, um, obviously, you're married. So how did that happen? Like, how, <laughs> how did you meet? How did you get married? Uh, yeah, so at that time, you know, I was, we were actually going to the same church, but I was going to school in the Bay Area. So I would come back a few times a year home, back home. And right, so he was, uh, he was going to University of California, Berkeley at the time, uh, and he was studying psychology, right? So he had just graduated. Uh, he was going to be going to dental school next, and so he's going to make a trip home, right? Yeah. yeah okay. So, so I came this home, is... and you know, we'd see each other once in a while at church, and we'll just say hello. But that Sunday was different. You know, it was like in the Hollywood movies. <laughs> <laughs> All the background just start to get blurry, <laughs> and then a uh, light from heaven came down on him. <laughs> You guys are laughing, but this is serious stuff. <laughs> it actually happened. This is not a made-up Hollywood story. And then I heard a voice from the Lord. He said, this is a woman that you're going to marry. Mm-hmm. That's the end of the story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
So did you go out and then marry her that afternoon, or how did that work out? Well, if I told her the story uh, when, I, when it happened, she would have thought I was a crazy man, so she would have just ran away from me. But so, <laughs> um, so I went back to the Bay Area, and you know, after the summer break, I got together with my friends, and we're kind of catching up on what happened during the summer. And I told my friends, hey, yeah, I found a woman that I was going to marry. They, and one guy looked at me a little strange, and he goes, that's kind of odd, you know? Three months ago, when we actually went off for summer break, you didn't even have a, you didn't even have a girlfriend, and now you come back, you're going to marry somebody? And my other friend says, have you even dated her? And I said, no. <laughs> and they kind of looked at me and said, you're stupid. <laughs> but guess what? After 35 years, we're married. <laughs> happily. And, you know, before we went on, on the mission trip, we had some sessions with our counselor, and we took these tests, and we took an Enneagram test, and, you know, the results came back, and he told us, you guys are a Perfect match. <laughs> Praise God for that. Yeah. Huh? Now, Lita, I know there's another side to that story. So, um, did you fall down on your knees and say, "What must I do to be married?" Or, like, how did you respond when Thomas uh, reached out to you? Well, he called me one day and he said, "Hi, this is Tom." <laughs> he was a very shy, you know, very timid person. So, is this not no. the Tom it was back then, 35 years ago? So I call her, and she, first thing she says is, who is this? <laughs> and I said, this is Tom, and she goes, Tom who? <laughs> and then she says, why did you call me? So we were, I was off to a really bad start when I called her. <laughs> mm-hmm. I just didn't know who he was, and so <laughs> he asked me out, and I go, um, that's okay. <laughs> I don't date people that I don't really know. <laughs> she rejected me. Uh-huh. Yeah, Tom said, it. actually, that was kind of took you by surprise, because you were used to, to girls you'd ask out, at least giving you one date. Yeah. Right? At yeah. least they would give me the opportunity to take them out to dinner and, you know, get to know one another, so... Go figure, every person that I've asked out, they said yes. And the woman that I was going to marry, she said no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but eventually that worked out. You guys uh, got married. So, so as, as I remember that you went to dental school, University of California at San Francisco, and between your third and fourth year, then that you got married. Um, and initially you're planning to open a dental practice up in the Bay Area, but God kind of through a series of circumstances made it clear, no, you came back to the LA area. So you come back, uh, you buy a home in Granada Hills, you, know, you, uh, you, you buy a practice in Granada Hills, and you start raising a family, right? So tell us just a little bit about your family, uh, how many kids you have, what the situation is there. So we were blessed with three beautiful children. Uh, my firstborn is my uh, daughter, Noelle, and she is married to Harry, the son-in-law that you know, you can't ask for a better one. Um, now <laughs> We're all we... <laughs> holding our breath right there. Like, what that was going to... He is uh, just you know, awesome. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Harry, thank you. Um, Asher uh, is our first grandson that we just received six months ago. You know, mm. We just adore him. Mm. Uh, we have two sons, Nicholas and Nathan, uh, who's around this area and just graduate college and just seeking their path for the future. And we're just very, very uh, proud of them. Mm. 
Yeah, so you're, you're off to your new life here, uh, and as you've described it to me, you were really living the American dream. Uh, you, you had gone to school, you bought a dentist practice, it was thriving, you had a great marriage, you had a healthy family that's growing, like everything is going right. But uh, also at this time, you were very involved in your church, right? You had found a new church, very involved in your church. Maybe talk about what was your spiritual life like in these next you know, 20, 25 years before God began to stir something new? So, um, you know, ever since we got buried in the Bay Area, we started serving right away, involved in Bible study, and we started out with youth group. And, and so in different stages of our lives, mm-hmm. um, it depends on the needs of the church. We served in probably every area you could possibly think of, mm-hmm. uh, believe it or not, even praise. I was in praise team uh, in college group. But I think throughout that whole journey, I think I was uh, training us and molding us uh, to 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 his work um, mm. in later stage, and so we're we're thankful for you know some ups and downs, of course, and and um, just looking back, um, sometimes I feel like we were just busy serving church, mm-hmm. um, but not really being with Jesus, walking with Jesus. So this mission journey actually really taught us to how to reflect. And, and taught us how to walk with Jesus mm-hmm. for the last 10 years and really go deep with Jesus. So really, really appreciate that journey. But I think just looking back, God knows everything. He's mm-hmm. sovereign. And even if we think that we're not walking with the Lord, His grace is mm-hmm. sufficient and He just walks us through Amen. in that faith journey. Yeah. yeah. Amen. You know, I remember one story comes to my mind. We, we went out for dinner like for about three hours. Lynn and I just peppered them with questions. You know, I wouldn't know everything about their story. And uh, when, the one thing I didn't ask you last night is I remember at one point, I believe you two went through a leadership class with your pastor, yeah. and uh, he asked you a question. You remember that story? Yeah. yeah wh- why don't you share that story? So we were quite new to the church, and so we had to go through this uh, leadership training with our pastors, and in one of the small group uh, topic was, uh, this question came. So if, if God asked you to do this one thing, what is that one thing that it's going to be very difficult for you to say yes to? And my literal answer was, well, I think I could say yes to almost anything, monetary, even our children. Um, but I think if he asked me to go to Africa to be a missionary, I think that will be just like line. Yeah. No, I can't go. And within a year, I was in Rwanda. <laughs> so be careful what you say to the Lord. <laughs> yeah, so those, uh, the next 25 years, you know, you, you, started this fa- you started the family, the practice, everything was going great. I mean, you really were living the American dream in, in every way. And, uh, and yet God was beginning, I think in both of your hearts, to stir sort of a holy discontent, if you will, uh, kind of your mid-40s, uh, kind of bring us up to speed. Like, what, what happened? Sure. You know, um, as I was in my mid-40s, and all the goals that I had set up for, for my life, and as I, as I um, fulfilled all those goals, um, I was just like, Lord, is this it? You know, you give me this great life, and one day you call me and say, hey, buddy, your time is up, and I go to heaven, and that's the end of my life. And I was like, Lord, that's got to be a higher purpose than, than this, you know? And I mean, to be honest with you, if, if, if God gave me a blank piece of paper at age 25 and said, here, you can write down anything you want in life, 
if I wrote all those things down at age 45, age 50, I was living that. And so just God blessed me tremendously. And, and you know, as I was searching, I, um, I read a book called Halftime. I don't know if any, any of you have read that book, but it was just really impacted my, my life deeply. If I can summarize that book in one sentence, you know, it says, your um, first half of your life is a quest for success. And your second half of your life is a quest for significance. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so I, searched, I began to search for that significance mm-hmm. in my life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because I felt, still felt that emptiness in me, you know? Yeah. It's amazing how the Lord does that. You know, I often call it a loosening of the roots. That when God is going to move you from one thing to another thing, he often begins to loosen the roots where you are. And, and you know, you say, well, what does that mean? Well, it's sort of a discontent with the way things are. And uh, it's, it's really interesting how that was working uh, in your life. So about this time, you had a very uh, pivotal conversation with one of your patients. Yes. Uh, <clears throat> a patient came into my office, and, um, you know, we're having one of those typical conversations in the dental chair where I've got my hand in his mouth, and I'm asking <laughs> these complicated questions, and he's trying to talk back. And basically, I'm the one doing all the talking, right? <laughs> And so, you know, at that time, I think my son Nick was in high school and he was really doing well. And so I was, as a proud father, I was telling him how proud of my, I'm with my son and is doing this and that. And he got up and, you know, a typical response would be, oh, you know, I'm so happy for you. You must be proud of your son, et cetera. And we would part ways. But he got up and asked me this really profound question. He asked me, so what is your, what is your son's spiritual life like? And so he just kind of put off all the smoke screen. He went right to the heart and asked me the most, a very, very, um, you know, profound question. And so after a couple weeks, I called him up and I asked him if he can meet me for breakfast because I just really wanted to get to know him and his his perspective on the faith journey. And after that meeting, um, I asked him to be my mentor. Mm And so we've been walking that journey together ever since then, probably over 13 years or so. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I see him. He's an amazing man of God, Mm -hmm. amazing father, incredible husband, father-in-law, grandpa. And, you know, as I saw him and I I told myself, when I grow up, I want to be just like him. (laughs) And I'm still chasing after that. Um, and, you know, he did such an amazing job of mentoring me mm-hmm. that he nurtured a missionary to Africa. Mm-hmm. So I just want to, Ron, I want to thank you mm-hmm. from the bottom of my heart mm-hmm. for, for being that, uh, yeah, the model of Jesus in my yeah. heart. Yeah. And you began, as I recall, you began meeting like, like every Tuesday or several Tuesdays a month for breakfast. And that's kind of how that mentoring relationship developed? Yes, we met, uh, we tried to meet every Tuesday mm-hmm. morning for, um, for breakfast. And it just poured into my life. Mm-hmm. And I was sharing yesterday after service, you know, I think as a believer, we should all have a mentor mm-hmm. and a mentee. Mm-hmm. And that's what keeps us in line where we have mm-hmm. to, you know, pour into someone and receive guidance from someone ahead of us. So I think Beautiful. it's very, very important in our spiritual journey. Very beautiful. Okay. So let's jump ahead. We're going to now, so you're in this, this whole t- season of holy discontent. Um, God has brought a mentor into your life. Um, 
And we're, we're now, you're about hitting your 25-year anniversary. You've been married almost 25 years. Um, you've been living this American dream, and yet something, you're, you're searching for something more. Um, and so you want to do something special for your anniversary. So can I share the story? Yeah, so 10 years ago, we were celebrating our 25th anniversary, and I was turning 50. So it was a milestone year for us. So I want to do a... a plan a trip that we'll remember for the rest of our life. And so I came to my wife and proposed a trip to climb the Kilimanjaro. <laughs> that one we'll never forget. <laughs> and she responded. No. <laughs> That's not my type of 25th anniversary trip. <laughs> Needs to be nice and romantic, you know, <laughs> somewhere in the Europe, uh, by the beach or something like that. Mm-hmm. So I went back to the drawing board and went around the world a few times on the computer, and I came back with a proposal, two weeks in Africa for a safari. And so she signed off on that, and I began to plan for that trip. And right around that time, a gentleman from Rwanda came to share his testimony um, about his survival through the genocide and how his faith um, just carried him through those difficult years. Why don't you, um, uh, as, as I recall it, your, your pastor had gone to Rwanda, kind of on a vision trip, uh, feeling like God may be calling your church to somehow invest in Rwanda. Um, and, uh, but Rwanda is a place that went through a, just a horrific genocide. I'm sure some here know a little bit about it. Maybe just a snapshot of what that was, because that just, that, that gives a backdrop for your whole ministry. So um, there was a genocide in 1994 where, as I shared on the video, um, in about three months, um, a million people were murdered. And this happened not like dropping a bomb and you see a bunch of people die. This is literally hand-to-hand combat where they use clubs and axes and machetes and it just it's unimaginable mm-hmm. you know the the what happened against the tutsis and what's actually even heartbreaking you know as as we spend time hearing different people sharing the story you know then the question would be well where was where was the church in this you know where was the church in this and i hear stories of how um the priests and the pastor will open the gates of the church and tell the people, hey, come in. We're going to protect you when you come to the church. They'll lock the gates, and then they'll call the killers to come and do their thing. Mm. Heartbreaking, Mm. you know. Or these people that are actually committing this atrocity would stop things, stop what they're doing Sunday morning because it's the Sabbath, go to church, and Monday morning they'll start it all over again. Just, just, just mind-boggling, but that's what happened. Yeah, so it's yeah. like 500,000 to a million people, a million estimates, people. that uh, in a nation of only 14 million. And um, these were people that had lived in the same villages, the same cities, so it's neighbor against neighbor. It's very, very brutal. Um, and so that, that kind of gives a backdrop to their ministry. And so their, their pastor had gone to Rwanda, feeling like God might be calling their church to have a ministry there. 
And uh, he met some just amazing Christ followers there, but he invited one of these young men to come back to their church and give his testimony, and that just really impacted you. So maybe share, share a little bit about that, that young man's story. Yeah, so he, when that happened, he was 10 years old, and the people came to murder. And he, so he hid in a closet, and he saw through a small little hole his father get murdered and his sister, a young sister, probably a teenager, get raped and murdered at the same time. So overnight he became an orphan. He became a street kid and, um, you know, he, I think Compassion International helped him in. He was in, he was at a university now and, and when he became a university student, he started a small nonprofit to help street kids that reminded him of himself years ago. And so um, one day a young boy came to his organization for help and soon he realized that this young boy was the son of the man that murdered his father and his sister. And talk about forgiveness, you know, talk about love. I mean, this is like, just blew me away, just profound. And so as I was hearing this story, his story, I heard a, a whisper from the Lord. And he said to me, you guys are planning this anniversary trip celebrating this life, this good life that I've blessed you with. But like, I am not even in this picture. Where am I? You know? And so we were just so drunk on his blessing that we forgot the, the blesser. Mm-hmm. And so um, I just heard from the Lord, see the people like them, I want you to go and help people like that. And so I said yes to the Lord. And now this anniversary trip is shifting from a safari to going to Africa, serving on a short-term mission trip, doing dental mission. And, you know, she didn't want to go on a hard trip. And now I have this dilemma of how do I convince my wife? <laughs> that was a million-dollar question now. You know, I was just struggling with that. Mm-hmm. You struggled with that for a long time. Yes, I did. A couple months just trying to uh, find that perfect time to, you know, pop that question. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and so, uh, so Lita, you, you saved the day, right? Yeah, yeah what, what, what happened? So I think he's, he's been always uh, good about researching and planning our trip, and usually uh, I love what he does, and so I follow. Mm-hmm. Um, and in fact, I think most of our lives, he's the leader and I'm a follower, and I, you know, it worked out great. Um, so, um, and I've always wanted to go to Safari, so there's no problem with that. But I think I also had... Um, the, the holy, holy discomfort, and I yeah. love that word. Yeah. Um, God started to stir that in my heart, and I think, you know, 25th anniversary is just a milestone, and I really want to do something more meaningful, and mm. I was yearning for a deeper mm. celebration, which mm. is to celebrate God mm. in our mm. lives and, and, you know, show how much we are thankful yeah. for His blessings. So, but I didn't know what that looked like mm. or mm. how I would have proposed that. And so... And then when I was sitting there and listened to the same testimony, um, you know, my heart also broke. And, and I said, that's it. That's it. We need to go and serve God's people in Africa. And just a little contribution that we could do. But my, I always had a dilemma because he loves to travel. And, you know, I could put him in a little bind, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, how do you say No. Mm-hmm. to a wife who asked for a mission trip, right? So he could be pressured to say yes, mm-hmm. you know, when he doesn't want to. So I also prayed about it, but, you know, I finally got the courage to, 
to ask him. And yeah, one so day, she asked me first if he could believe that. So when she asked me that question, I was like freaking out because <laughs> I'm trying to figure out how to ask her, and she asked me first, and you know, it's all God, right? <laughs> yeah. And so, of course, then I'm getting all excited, and she kind of looks at me and says, I want you to calm down. <laughs> if, it's, if this is truly from the Lord, he's going to surely reconfirm this, so let's wait for his confirmation once again. So I said, of course, we believe and worship a living God. He is going to confirm that. And so, you know, we get home, we change. Ten minutes later, I get a phone call. And this is a doctor from our church, and he asked me, Tom, would you and Lita be interested in going to Africa for two weeks on a medical mission trip, medical dental mission trip this summer? And I was just like freaking out. I was like, how much more clear can this confirmation get? You know what I mean? It's not like, oh, I feel something inside of me. Or yeah. I Literally, I that was wait. it. And so, of course, we said, we immediately say yes, and that's our first journey to Africa or right. Rwanda came right, about. yeah. So their first journey is 2013, like 10 years ago. You go to Rwanda, you think it's a one and done sort of thing. We're going to go serve for two weeks, and we've done that 25th anniversary and come back and continue our lives. But something happens there that is kind of destined to change the course of your life. What happens? Yeah, so um, as we go there and as we're serving, I feel this weird thing in my heart. And I don't know what, what it really was, you know? And so, um, but I feel like um, this is longer than a short-term trip. And I asked the Lord, Lord, if this is from you, I need another confirmation, you know? And so last day of our clinic, we were in a remote village, probably four hours outside of the capital city, you know, just a really remote area. And a young mom came with a severe dental infection, and she was in and out of consciousness. She was not able to eat for three days, and I immediately removed her two infected teeth, and I gave her some antibiotics, and I treated her, and right, right at that moment, um, God spoke to me and called me back to Rwanda to use my, the, my gifts and talent not to pursue success, but to be the healing hands of Jesus. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Right, so th- this wasn't for like another just short-term trip. This is for your life. Up. Yeah, just give it all up and come back. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm a planner. And when I make decisions, I'm telling you, I look at things from the right side, left side, upside down. I mean, all different ways. I calculate, I plan, and I execute. When I heard this voice from the Lord, within two seconds, I said yes. Mm-hmm. And it just, it's just from the, from the Holy Spirit, you know? Mm-hmm. And so that's our journey back to Rwanda began. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, so, so 2013, you make that decision um, that you're going to be coming back here full time, but you so you you know the you know the what of the vision, but you don't know the when or the how. Um, and just you know, a quick sidebar here: something that I've often said here is that when God gives us a vision, that it's not only the what, it's the when and the how that we have to hear from Him. When we have the right what at the wrong when or how, it can lead to disaster. Right, so, we, so we have to listen every step along the way. So you, you knew the what, you weren't sure 
the wind. So they, they came back and just began to pray, like, well, when does this happen? And so in 2014, you may remember this, they, instead of going back to Rwanda, but in 2014, there was the ISIS crisis over in the Middle East. And uh, in Syria uh, is where that was really happening. And so, so many Syrians were fleeing for their lives. They were uh, fleeing to Jordan as a refuge. And uh, they knew, um, Thomas and Lita knew a pastor in Israel who is a Messianic Jew. He pastored a church there. And then there was an Arab Christian pastor in Israel. And these, these two men were friends. And so they, they formed a joint mission as a Jewish follower of Jesus and an Arab follower of Jesus to go and serve Muslim res- refugees in, uh, in Jordan. And they invited Tom and, uh, and Lita to go. It was a very impactful trip. Uh, we don't really have time to get into that, but that's 2014. 2015, you go back on a short-term mission, first time, um, and that becomes sort of an annual rhythm. But somewhere along the line, you're beginning to say, Lord, like, when do you want us to move full-time here? And, and how did God kind of show you that? So um, somewhere along the way, my wife was um, going through some spiritual training to be equipped to go on the mission field, to do some ministry. And so she was um, going to Seattle to get the training. And so that weekend, you know, I, I was home and I had this, God just gave me this really deep, deep need to go and pray. And so I threw a box of water in my car. I went up to a Christian conference center and I was just fasting and praying for two days. And while I was praying, you know, the Lord spoke to me, and, I, I, and he says to me, you still don't trust me. And it was not in a condemning way. I saw his, he was smiling down upon me um, like a loving father, and he says, you know, you still don't trust me. And he was right. You know, at that time, I was crunching out numbers in my head, you know, you know, again, if we were to go, we're going to cut, you know, we're going, we're going to, I was going to retire 10, 15 years earlier than originally had planned with all the financial planning or what have you. And so that was my biggest concern. And so I'm crunching out numbers over and over again. And God's like, you still don't trust me. I said, Lord, I don't. And he just said, trust me. Trust me and just be ready. So when I tell you to go, you'll be ready to go. And so I really took that to heart. And so I, you know, I picked her up from the airport and I was telling her what I heard from the Lord and she, of course, immediately agreed. And so the, the hardest part about this was like, okay, well, um, how do we transition out? You know, I had a practice that I dearly love my patients. They're like an extended family to me. And it was my, my responsibility to make sure that the, the uh, incoming doctor was, you know, a faithful, good doctor that will take care of them. And it's like, where do you find this person? And so we both agreed that when that doctor comes into our life, that would be the, the sign for us to start this transition. And so, of course, um, Ron comes to the rescue, and he's been meaning to um, put me together with a dentist at Hinyu for years. And you know one of those things where we go, hey, yeah, yeah, let's meet, let's meet, and you actually never meet because nobody actually picks up their phone to call each other? <clears throat> that was, that's what was happening for a few years. And you know, he finally said, okay, that's it. I'm going to get you guys together. And of course, we met 
We just shared a lunch together, and a couple weeks later, that doctor called me again for lunch, and we met again. And at the end of lunch, he asked me, so what are you going to do with your dental practice? And this is, a, this is the actual conversation. I said, I'm going to sell it. And he says, can I buy it? I said, yeah. <laughs> that was it. That was the end of the story. <laughs> we didn't talk about when, how much. It was like, after that lunch, I knew that this is a man that the Lord had prepared to transition into my practice. Mm-hmm. And for a couple of years, no conversation. We just said hello, what have you. And in that God moment, our trans- transition started. Yeah, you actually came home and told Lita that uh, I found the man, that yeah. God sent the man. Yeah, that like, same day. I said, hey, I found the doctor that's going to take over the practice then. We just celebrated <laughs> because now we can start preparing for our journey. Yeah. 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 Right, so now we're, uh, we're up to 2019 now, and uh, you're going to be closing down your practice, transferring it over to this man at, at the end of 2000. Who, by the way, he's just, like you, you were looking for a specific kind of person. Like you were looking for a dentist who loved Jesus, who was excellent, skilled, had a similar personality to take care. So it was more than just, hey, here's some guy. It was more, he's the right guy. He was like the perfect guy. And we didn't put out an ad, we didn't do any search. One man came, and he was a perfect doctor. And just yeah. praise the Lord for that, you yeah, know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it was cool, too, because as he said, there was no discussion of terms of this yeah. thing. It was just like, uh, I want to buy, okay, that sounds good, we'll yeah. do that. And, it was a done just, deal. We didn't even say when or how much, it was just done. <laughs> <laughs> so, it, so eventually you worked out those deals, it all worked out great, and into 2019, you're going to finish your practice, so in 2020, you can go to, uh, to Rwanda but uh, something significant happened to you at the end of 2019. Why don't you show the story? Yeah, so end of 2019, um, it was going to be our family retirement trip. So we took our family and our children to Kauai. And, um, you know, I'm a runner, so I went running one morning, and I took a bad fall, and I broke two fingers on my right hand. So imagine, I'm a dentist, I'm right-handed, I need my hands to do what I do. And my fingers are kind of like coming out sideways, and I'm like, I got up, and I said, Lord, you are so cruel. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And I knew why he did that. And he spoke to me. He said, you know, you thought that you're leaving everything, but you still have your right hand. You're trusting in your right hand. So I need to break that so that I have total trust you have i have total trust from you mm-hmm. yeah and so you know as before that i was i'm like oh gosh you know it's like i'm selling my practice leaving my home selling my home leaving my family my friends my church and you know i basically said lord all i have is my my wife here my life partner and you but just god through that accident reminded me there was something else that I was trusting, which is my right hand. So he just broke that and humbled me and took me to a place where I was in total dependence on him. Yeah. It's funny, it's a side story. So he's got these two fingers. You know, I can relate to this, right? Because this this falling on a pine cone thing. And... um, and so it's funny story is his two, his two fingers are broken, you know, they're going sideways. So he resets them himself, right? Goes to the ER and the doctor says, who reset these? He said, I did. He said, well, you did a really good job. <laughs> and, uh, 
So he said, just put him in a soft cast, and it was like a month later, he was back to normal. So I was like, the Lord taught him the lesson, and he still got his right hand. So, yeah, so, um, so, so now we, so, so we're jumping ahead. So now we're going to 2020, it's February. If you remember February 2020, and uh, they're planning to go to Rwanda, and COVID hits, right? So that's going to delay the process. They're not going to be able to go until August of 2020. So they get there, so they go from their, their home here in Simi Valley, they, they go there, they have two bedroom, uh, two bedroom apartments in the capital city, and they begin getting ready to launch this ministry, which involves a lot. They, they have to, he's gotta get his kind of dental certification through the government, that's gonna take nine months before he can practice, he's got a you know, driver's license, all these things, uh, they're learning the, the culture, but eventually that all kind of comes around. And uh, they're, they're gonna be, again, kind of launching their, their ministry. And I think for this, it might be helpful just to give a little context of the dental situation of the country, how the country's you know, divided into counties and, and how many dentists there are. Just give some perspective. Yeah, so the country has about 14 million people. And right now, I mean, it was, it was worse before, but right now there are about 69 dentists. And so if you do the ratio, it's like, I don't know, 150, almost 200,000 people per dentist. And even now the, at the hospital that we've set up our clinic, we're in a county of about half a million people. And our clinic is the only public clinic that these people can come to. And you know, the, the condition of the clinic, you know, all the equipment is broken, nothing's working. And so when you come into the clinic, the only treatment option is a visual exam and an extraction. That's it. And so that's pretty much, um, it was pretty much like that almost throughout the whole country. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's interesting, he was explaining to me that there's, the, the, the country is divided into like, like little 40-some uh, areas, or we might call them counties here. Each one has a hospital and a dental clinic associated, but the dental clinics are all like that. They're all run down. Even the dentists that have gone through dentistry t- training would not be up to global standards. So many of these dentists, have, they've never done, they get out of dental school, but they've never done uh, a root canal. They've never done a, um, a crown. Um, and so the, the level of care is just very, even if you can get to a dentist, which is very difficult, it's just level of care. Um, and so, um, so you, you started this one clinic, but you also started, um, eventually started a mobile clinic. Can you tell us a little bit about how that happened? And Yeah, so um, life in Africa is not as simple as living here. Here you say, I've got a dental appointment, you get in the car, 15 minutes later you're there. There, most people don't have cars, and sometimes it's a long, long journey. Four hours, five hours walking, you know, and so... When we got there, um, we had a lady in the clinic. Um, she had a dental infection. And because of this, such a long journey to get to a clinic, our clinic, she tried to find solutions in her neighborhood. And so she saw a nurse that was not qualified um, to provide dental care using unsterile instruments. And so she got into a more serious infection. And by the time she called the ambulance and arrived to the hospital. And before we were able to treat her, she actually died in the dental chair from a tooth infection. Yeah, and so that really just shocked us so much. And so, you know, we, 
it just kind of changed our mindset of asking them to come. We, there was this initiative now, we need to go into where they are. And so now we take portable equipment and God's opened doors to, um, to go into the villages and provide dental care and share the gospel of Jesus Christ with them. And you know, the crazy thing is that recently, God opened the doors for us to actually go into the prison. Mm. So now we, we are doing prison ministry through dental care. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so it's just God just amazing how he just opens the doors as um, you know, we obey him, just continue to lead and guide us into places, yeah. So, so the, uh, the generosity initiative that we're going to be participating in is, uh, involves a brand new building that you have called, I mean, it's Hope Dental Center, right? Why don't you share a little bit about the vision for that center and how it all works and a little bit about our part of that. Sure. You know, we've all heard the saying, you know, you can, um, I can, you can, give a man a fish, but you know, the better thing is to teach them how to fish, right? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we want uh, to leave a, a lasting, eternal impact on the nation of Rwanda and the people there. And so, rather than me and people here going there and doing dental treatment, our goal is to train Rwandan doctors. Our goal is to um, disciple these young doctors, to be a disciple maker, you know? And so, you know, in the building, it's a three-story building. The first, first floor will be a, um, a private clinic where we provide high-level care and we generate income resources to bring back to the ministry so that it will become a self-sustaining ministry someday. And the second floor is our training clinic. This is where young Rwandan doctors are brought in. It's a two-year residency program where we provide additional clinical training, spiritual training to, so that they may actually, they may also go into their community, provide dental care, and make disciples of Jesus and share the gospel. Mm-hmm. And so that's the hope that we have for the Hope Dino Center, where we can make an eternal impact in the 14 million people in Rwanda. Mm-hmm. It's just really quite the vision, because if you can picture this, they've got the, they're in the capital, they have a dental school, and when, when students have gone through, it's a five-year training. But like I said, when they get out, they can't do a lot of just basic things. And so remember, there's over 40 different counties, uh, and each different county has a hospital. It's got a dental clinic, but very substandard and broken. So the vision is that they can bring in these interns, a two-year program, residents for two years, train them, get them up to global standards, disciple them as followers of Jesus, and then send them out to these clinics to revitalize these clinics around the nation. And so it's just, and the beautiful thing is as they go out, these dentists will be actually paid by the government because it's a government, it's a government thing. But so it'd be a self-sustaining ministry that can transform the whole landscape of the nation. So it's just amazing. So our part in it is, as he mentioned, the second, the second story of this building uh, needs to be completely redone, like tenant improvements, uh, all the dental equipment, and so on. It's over a couple hundred thousand dollars, and that's what our our gift would go to to help. This is where those eight uh, eight students a year would be trained 
in order to, uh, but, and, and disciple, very intentional discipleship so that we're sending out like disciple makers throughout the nation who can use their gifts of dentistry, just like Thomas is using his gifts to, to impact uh, lives. So it's just an incredible, incredible vision. So just a couple more questions as we wrap it up. But uh, uh, one of the things Thomas Owen asked is we, we talked, is that, as you all know, that in uh, January, towards the middle of January, we're going to kick off a new series here that's called Hearing God, Discerning His Voice. And I just believe this is one of the most important spiritual skills, if you will, is to learn how to discern God's voice in our life. And, you know, God speaks to, to different people in different ways. It's one of these we're going to be learning. But how do we recognize that when he's speaking? But several key points in your journey, God has spoken very clearly. Uh, first one you mentioned when he said Lita was the one for you. Uh, secondly, uh, when you, you came back and he called you to go to Rwanda in that first mission trip, uh, while you're over the third time was when he said, no, this is for permanent. And then the, the last time was when he, he talked about trusting your hand, right? So the four very pivotal points in your journey, God has spoken very clearly. So in your life, when you say that, when you say God spoke to me, um, what do you mean by that? Uh, if we could be a fly on the wall of your life, uh, what would we experience? Yeah, as you mentioned, Pastor, you know, God speaks to people in different ways and you know of course um, I, I've seen like I share with you with I've seen visions and what have you but for me in pivotal moments um, he speaks to my heart mm-hmm. we, I actually have conversations in my heart with with, with God mm-hmm. and um, so would you say it's like a, it's an inaudible voice yeah yeah yes, okay. inaudible mm-hmm. voice and you know the Bible says that, Jesus says that I'm the good shepherd mm-hmm. and my sheep know my voice mm-hmm. and they follow me. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, when I, you know, these are such life-changing decisions that mm-hmm. we're making, mm-hmm. you know, just leaving their family and coming, going to Rwanda and things like that. But, you know, when we hear his voice, we know, and I'm clearly for sure know that this is from the Lord. I mean, it's the, 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 the decision is pretty simple for me. I mean, we follow that voice where we are a sheep, you know, and so, yeah, that's how he speaks that's to us. That's beautiful. So as you stand back for both of you from this, this journey you've had, really from childhood until now, uh, any, like, life lessons that stand out to you? Like, what has the Lord taught you through this? What have been some of the most important insights he's given you into this, in, through your journey? I think the couple um, life lessons that God really, really revealed to me uh, through this journey is that uh, first and foremost, um, that I am a beloved child of God Mm -hmm. and that he cares about me and his focus is on me a lot more than what he wants me to do. Mm -hmm. Projects are important and that's the byproduct of the overflow of the intimacy I have with the Lord. And he really wanted to transform me. You know, he mentioned about me going through a spiritual formation uh, program and and through that program and I, I really learned that God was pursuing me. Mm-hmm. Not like I'm gonna hire you to do something for me. You <laughs> mm-hmm. know, that it was not that. So he his focus was on me. So um, that he wanted to transform me, my character, mm-hmm. um, inside and out. Mm-hmm. And so out of that Christ likeness, he wants me to go Amen. and serve others just like he 
died for me, mm. for my sin. Beautiful. So that's the first thing. And then through the journey that I learned that obedience is not this one-time big action. Mm -hmm. We thought well, you just go to Rwanda and then, oh, it's all oh, you're obedient and then everything just goes smoothly. No, <laughs> I'm still struggling. And um, so what God, in his grace, everything starts from his grace and ends with grace. And he taught me is the obedience is just a lifestyle. Mm -hmm. It's a lifestyle of making, saying yes to every single thing that he's kind of imprinting in your heart, tugging in your heart. Mm -hmm. You know, somebody speaks to you. Um, the image that God gives you with the comfort and all this is God speaking to you. And then, so for me, it's like, okay, so Lord, um, as, as I walk this journey, how do I obey you? And how do I say yes to from small things to the big things? And how do I say yes to you every day? So that at the end of the day, then you could call me obedient child, good and faithful servant. You have done a good job when I go Beautiful. to heaven. Great word. Yeah, I think this is what, you know, we talk about listen and follow. It's... I think one of the things we, we talk about backstage, you know, it's often we think when God's leading us that every step of the way it's going to be clear. And I think that's so untrue. That what, what, what the way it really works is there's certain steps that are really clear. And in between, there's a lot of fog sometimes, right? And, uh, and so sometimes it's, the, the beautiful thing is we learn to discern God's voice, though. It's one of the things I encourage myself with is that, hey, you know, I may be confused right now or I may not know what to do. But I know that God could make it clear in a moment if he wanted it. And so he wants me in the dark because there's certain things we learn in the dark we can't learn in the light, you know? And, uh, and so uh, when we talk about listen and follow, it's just that's a simple thing, right? Just the next step. What's the next step of our journey? And like when they said when they started in 2013, they said, yes, we'll go. But they, they didn't have a game plan. They didn't know how that was going to work out. That's been a 10-year journey to this point. Um, Thomas, any final like lessons that God has taught you through this? Yeah, you know, you know, even now as I go to work in the morning, and as I see the sunrise, and as I'm driving through the rolling hills of Rwanda, um, I feel like I'm in, a, I'm in a dream. It almost feels surreal mm. that God has sent me to Rwanda to be the carrier of the gospel to the nation of Rwanda. And sometimes I still have to pinch myself, slap myself a few times to see, is this a dream or is it, is it real, you know? And, and um, to be, so to be used for his purpose is just an amazing journey. Mm -hmm. um, you know, Johnny Erickson Tata, one of our favorite uh, people, once said that faith is not a ability to look far and long into the future. It's just simply taking God's word and taking the next step. And you know, when we took that first step, we had no idea. We had no idea this was going to happen. Um, but yeah, and you know, for me, when as I prayed as we entered into this journey, I, I asked God, Lord. Make this so big that we can never take credit for anything that happens. Mm -hmm. You know, as I share with you, I'm a planner. When I see a problem, I calculate and I plan everything out. And our, our prayer is that his mission in Rwanda is so great. Not me, not this church. No one can take credit for it mm -hmm. except God who provides everything. Amen. So I'll praise to him.
Amen. Amen. <laughs> well, uh, thank you both so much for coming today and sharing your story. It's just a beautiful story. And uh, so God bless you. Thank you for coming. Thank and let's you. give them a round of applause. <laughs> that is awesome. <laughs> Great. You guys can head on backstage and beautiful. Now, what did I tell you? Was that worth hearing? That was an amazing story, right? And what a beautiful model for our lives. You know, he made a call to Africa, but he's got this epic vision, and we all play a part. And so what's his vision for your life? What's his vision for our life? It's not our job to come up with the vision and ask God to fulfill it. It's his job to give us the vision, and we carry it out. Just one step at a time. Amen? Hey, so we're going we're gonna to have some prayer, and then we're going to go into our final worship song, so let's pray together. So Father, we just thank you for Thomas and Lita. We thank you for this incredible ministry that you've entrusted to them. And we pray, Lord, as a church at Rocky Peak, Lord, before the courts of heaven, we pray your blessing on that. God, we just in an official way say we lay hands on them, we lay hands on this ministry, and we bless it in Jesus' name. And we pray that you use them in powerful ways to strengthen your church, to bring loss to salvation, to bring healing to a nation. And so, Lord, as this song says, Lord, that we would just be those that, for the sake of the world, we would listen, we would follow. We pray this in your name. Amen.